Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson. And our guest today uh, is someone that we love to have on the podcast, um, who's been with us before, Professor Nazan Maksudian, who's a professor of history at the Department of Social Sciences at Kemarburgaz University in Istanbul, Turkey, um, where we're sitting and recording today. So Nazan, thanks so much for being on the podcast again. Thank you for inviting me again. And uh, our topic today is actually um, the subject of one of Nazan's recent articles, um, which is a, a sort of fascinating set of episodes um, that took place in the 1920s and 30s uh, in Istanbul. So the topic today is female suicides in early Republican Turkey. Um, so I thought maybe we could just start by talking about what was going on in the 1920s and 30s. What was this kind of big debate that was happening about female suicide? Um, did it seem that there had been a spike in female suicides after the war? Um, and how were people talking about this in public life and in the press? Yeah, this research is actually about how people were talking about it. How I came across this story is through this um, Turkish review of anthropology. And there was this article there of the French sociologist Max Bonafou. And here he was talking about his research about the reasons of increasing women's suicides. Then I went back to the press uh, review and what was being discussed at the time. Well, actually, people were talking a lot about suicide, the fact that it was increasing, what was going on, etc. But before the debate, there wasn't real research. So the debate came before the research that women were increasingly committing suicide. So they were presuming a spike in suicides. They didn't actually have the data to prove until they began to be worried yeah. about the issue. Yeah, actually, I mean, that's exactly the case. It was appearing too much on the newspapers and all the columnists were saying, well, I mean, every day we read this uh, sad news, what is going on to these women, and it became a public debate. And this research done by uh, Max Bonafou is actually going back to the data and trying to recover what was going on. And he collects this data from 1916 to 1926 from the Istanbul Police Department. And it's just based on Istanbul. So it's just about the city. And he says, well, actually, that's the case. From 1922 onwards, uh, suicide among Muslim women is increasing. And so, so that's really interesting because what you're describing is a set of data that um, is differentiating among uh, different religious groups. Is it, and it's differentiating among men and women. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the data is has information on age, gender, ethnicity, uh, neighborhood, uh, form of suicide, etc. You have different forms of forms of information. But the problem about the research done uh, by Istanbul University Department of Sociology is that he doesn't use the numbers proportionally 
to the population. So he says Muslim suicides are increasing, but he doesn't proportionate it with the, you know, population in 1916 or the population in 1926. Right. So these are kind of just raw numbers. Yeah, that just are absolute numbers. Kind of perhaps to scare people or to provoke interest in this phenomenon or what? Um, well, I'm not sure. I mean, I was thinking, didn't he know enough methodology? Probably he did. I mean, the problem is that, I mean, I was trying to do the thing that he was missing, but it's really not easy to know the exact the numbers of population of Istanbul in this like decade. So you have uh, information from certain years, but it's not accurate. Right. But what's fascinating is that, you know, this is a, a moment where people become interested in this very specific kind of information about um, society or population, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, the sort of projection of quantitative method, however yeah. problematic it might be, um, as a kind of way of making truth claims about a large number of people to describe something as a social phenomenon yeah. is, is, is a little bit new at this moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the early Republican Turkey and science meant nothing but numbers. So if you can discuss something with numbers, meaning you can, you know, quantify it, it was the science itself. So this is why the research was... Uh, thought to be important but the problem was you know his findings his consequences how he interpreted the data and this uh, exploded the debate even further because he was saying well women started to commit suicide because the regime meant too much change and they couldn't digest that amount of change and so this uh, was criticized harshly, and he had to go back to France in 1928. So, oh, so he was made unpopular by his diagnosis exactly. of this perceived or so-called kind of epidemic of female yeah. suicide. Exactly. How um, how else were people talking about this? Who was talking about it, and mm -hmm. how were they explaining this? Yeah. Um, um, well, this article, which is you know, sociological article, was following the uh, ideas or writings of, of course, Emil Durkheim. So it was about, you know, a suicide as a social issue and society determines the individual suicides kind of thing. So he was uh, discussing from within the concept of social disease. And this was unacceptable for the new Turkish Republican elite because they were they weren't open to criticism and social disease means that they were doing something bad to society and this had, you know, uh, side effects, etc. And so they chose the psychological, purely psychological explanation. They had this like famous psychiatric figures like Masar Osman, uh, Fahrettin Kerim, etc. And these people were writing... Uh, committing suicide is a symptom of being lunatic, basically. So it was made into a question of individual sort of psychological, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a mental health issue, if you exactly. will, rather than yeah. a social issue. Yeah, they were, I mean, openly saying that those who commit suicide are mentally ill. They were, I mean, openly saying it, no question about it. And so they took over the uh, hegemony, if you will, uh, uh, 
over the public voice, public uh, discussion on the suicide issue. And they pushed for this like mental illness theory. And uh, after 30s, there was no discussion on the suicide in a sociological way. So did this lead to changes in state policy or um, sort of the founding of institutions or projects to try to deal with mental health issues um, in a new way? Or how, you know, what were the sort of um, consequences of yeah. this conversation? The institutional solution that they found to prevent uh, suicide was close to this uh, formation of eugenic societies. It was uh meaning uh, the association of, uh, well, Hufzisuha is not re really eugenics, but it's like, you know, preservation of the race kind of thing. So within this uh, society, they organized talks against suicides. They, and what they did mainly was censor all news coverage uh, regarding suicide because they were saying that this is an epidemic, true, but the epidemic that is contagious among weak-willed, which were women. So uh, they were too weak to have their own independent ideas, wills. And so when they see someone doing it, they easily imitate it because they are weak already. So to prevent these weak people from preventing other weak people, we have to uh, censor all relating to suicide. And so they, we have no statistics, no really suicide discussion on the media until the uh, 50s. So there's a kind of silence that's put in place after the exactly. 30s. I mean, it's what I notice is that both of these explanations, in a way, both the kind of Durkheimian mm -hmm. sociological, you know, this is the um, these are the symptoms of a social disease caused by change and modernization, yeah. right? I mean, women are deemed to be um, the most susceptible to the disease, the least able to deal with change, particularly Muslim women, in the view of this um, this French anthropologist mm -hmm. sociologist. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, you know, likewise, in the discourse of the Turkish elites, um, you know, women are, are the most mentally unstable, yeah. the most likely to be provoked into kind of copycat suicides or, or whatever. So, you know, it's interesting that these two very different discourses both take as their starting point the relative weakness of women. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I mean, their uh, solutions were also similar. Um, for instance, these psychiatrists, I mean, uh, who were saying it's a personal problem, actually were offering solutions which were social uh, solutions, such as Masar Osman was saying, women should marry er at an early age, have children again immediately, and choose to live in the countryside because urban life is the real problem that we're having here. So you realize, well, he was just saying it's a mental illness, but now he's accusing the urban society. And so that should be, I mean, about the society. So the both, I mean... Uh, at, at one point, I was defining the sociological explanation and psychological explanations as two camps. But at one point, I realized that they weren't two camps, really. They were part of the, I mean, same uh, discussion in terms of their approach to women, really. 
And in a way, this, uh, this conversation about female suicide in early Republican Turkey tells us more about um, perhaps the male social and scientific elite than it tells us anything about women or their behavior or their you know, relative rate of suicide or anything like this. Exactly. I mean, that, that is, um, if I can, that should be the next point because we actually have the suicide statistics from 1913 onwards, not for a long time until 1921 or something, but still we have the data on a monthly basis from each and every neighborhood of Istanbul, but also from other cities too. So uh, if I can go through this like real quantitative uh, data, then we can have the data set uh, at hand. But the problem is that I don't think it's, so easy to explain the actual reasons of suicides as, you know, early 20th century scholars were doing it. Um, today's social science is not, let's say, so ambitious right. to explain something so personal. And, I, and my ambition actually is not to explain the real cause of suicides. Uh, I think it's unexplainable, but it would be really interesting to see if it was really increasing or not increasing or, you know, increasing among which communities. This is very interesting. But why is uh, a difficult question. Right, but what, I mean, for the purposes of the, the work that you've done so far, what sort of provokes our attention is that this is kind of, becomes a matter of major concern. Yeah. Even though, as you pointed out at the beginning of our conversation, they didn't really have proper data yeah. to think it through in, in quantitative terms. Um, so maybe we could just go back a little bit and sort of think about this moment in the larger context of sort of changes in women's lives um, at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Obviously, you know, in the 1920s, we're talking about a new Turkey. Um, we're talking about the aftermath of World War One. Um you know, if you could just say a few words about sort of how this episode might fit into larger changes in women's lives and in images of women um, in Turkey. Yeah, um, well, we know that women's lives, as you said, have been going through change for a long time. I mean, not just 1920 or 21, but it's been going on for a century almost. I mean, it was too much going on. The war, the difference was that they took... In a way, they took control of their lives. I mean, it was through maybe sons or husbands in the army, but we know through, you know, works of Yitakin, for instance, that uh, they were applying to the state on their own, you know, writing these petitions and trying to change what was uh, hurting them. So... After the war too, I mean, this was an important, well, gain for their own uh, living conditions. So they were more active in the uh, economic field. They were asking for more education. So they were increasing their space of action. And again, how to relate this to suicide is a big issue. I'm not sure if we can do it. I mean, the fact that they were being more active publicly or the fact that they were more educated, they were more uh, in the working areas, it's hard to say. But, but in your work, um, you know, you kind of suggest that, uh, you know, regardless of the individual reasons for female suicides, which I agree with you, we, we can't really know, um, 
you know, part of what might be going on in this debate in the 20s and 30s is a kind of disciplining yeah. move, kind of um, dealing with yeah. the new Turkish woman who's emerged yeah. uh, in the sort of first decades of the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, this, what the story tells mostly is actually about how the new state was envisioning its women citizens. The open, I mean, the manifest discourse was saying that women are equal, women are important, women are strong, you know, this and that. But the side story was actually saying that no women were actually expected to be quieter, to remain more in the domestic side of the life and not really to take control over their bodies. And, and in a lives. way, in a way, in this um, this you know debate about suicide, it's couched as um, something that you know they should remain in domestic space, they should move to the country, they shouldn't yeah. you know engage in these new um, practices for their own good, yeah. right? Because otherwise, it brings on depression, it brings on social unrest. You know, whichever explanation you're yeah. invested in, um, yeah. the implication is that it's for women's own good for them to sort of step back from some of these new roles that are. That, have, that are being promised out of one side of the mouth and sort of warned against out of the other. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, um, feminist historians has been uh, writing about, you know, Turkish reforms is actually, I mean, the case in this research as well. So in legal terms, Turkish women uh, were emancipated but they weren't liberated idea you know I mean okay they had the legal rights in most of the cases I mean not perfect but very like nice very well implemented new reforms but still within the house or within the family when you know in unseen corners of life they had trouble dealing with their husbands with their fathers with their you know colleagues etc Right. I mean, I think this is one of the most kind of interesting moments in the kind of global history of what we call feminist history or the history yeah. of women's liberation, emancipation, because um, so often the sort of legal side of those narratives, you know, that women are getting the vote, they're becoming writers, they're becoming educated, is attended by, you know, another story about um you know, the increasing surveillance and discipline of the state, uh, the stubbornness of both family patriarchy and state patriarchy and the way that they kind of shore each other up, right? So I don't know, I'm wondering if this, um, this debate about suicide could be seen as a way in which, you know, the state patriarchy and the sort of individual patriarchy within the family were kind of acting together um, to discipline women in a new way. Yeah, I mean, these were different parts of the same story, I think. I mean, we can consider those apart. I mean, what was going on on a societal basis was recreated in the house, in the school, in, in every corner of life. So uh, it's definitely a story of patriarchy. And I was trying to say in the article is that, I mean, this is a method of resistance by women to many things. I mean... This meaning suicide. Yeah, suicide. And that's the, you know, controversial part of it, mm -hmm. you know, saying that suicide was a form of agency, suicide was a form of taking action, because actually it stops your action in the next minute. Right. But 
even if the personal stories of each woman was different, I mean, one committed suicide because her French lover abandoned her. The other one committed suicide because she was pregnant. The other one committed suicide because she thought the life was too depressive. I have some suicide letters, so I have some stories, actually. The reasons are different, the explanations are different, but they were criticizing some, I mean, on, a, on an upper level, they were badly affected from this patriarchal system. So abandoning by a lover means that, oh, she can't get married and she's going to have moral judgment in the society. And an unmarried pregnant woman. So we know the story. And the other, you know, depression, we can go deeper, but it's, uh, in most of the cases, they were suffering from patriarchal forces in the society. So these are individual traumas that take on, you know, much worse, um, you know, individual consequences in the context of a society which, in which women may be educated and, you know, eventually getting the vote, but are still subject to social norms that, um, make these situations, pregnancy, being abandoned by a lover, very, you know, more difficult than they might otherwise be. Yeah, I mean, this was what Sabiha Sartal at the time was writing. So she was saying, okay, we give them the legal right, but then when they want to make their own marriage decisions, the the parents don't let them to. And so this creates an obvious conflict because they were, I mean, women were assuming that they have the right, you know, to, to date now, to find their own marriage partners. But at the end, they can't. And this creates a big gap in, between your expectations and what you have. And so this is the main reason for depression, she says. Again, this is about uh, the promises unkept by the state. Yeah, and the way in which, you know, um, various systems for controlling women offer some things and take away others, and that, you know, when things are shifting between one to another, when, you know, the things that are promised to women are changing, Mm -hmm. you know, they assume they have certain uh, abilities, but actually, in fact, they don't. And that this is a period of, you know, perhaps higher vulnerability than, you know, when a system is operating and uh, and not undergoing rapid destabilization and change. Exactly. Which is perhaps also a controversial uh, statement. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, in some cases, I don't know, the patriarchy you know is better than the patriarchy you don't. I don't know if we want to agree with that statement. (laughs) But um, So maybe you could talk a little bit about how this work um, is sort of feeding into um, your ongoing project on Mm -hmm. World War I, you know, sort of how, if if you see this as a kind of... um, aftermath or sort of consequence of some of the things that are happening to women uh, in World War I and sort of how this um, looks forward to some of the things that happened to women in Turkey in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very much interested in the home front during the First World War. So if the statistical data covers the war years in a, you know, in a well-documented manner, that would be great. But, I mean, I have these, but never went through them. So I have to see. That would be very interesting because, you know, how women experienced the war in the cities mainly and how they dealt with them, it's very interesting for me. But mostly this, you know, I have this project on First World War and children and how they uh, were empowered through the war. I mean, more or less. 
these two remain more or less independent. So if I can finish my uh, First World War project, then I hope to go back to women's suicides and read more about, you know, those women's letters themselves. And there are lots, I mean, not long letters, but lots of suicide letters. Mm. Go over them and find some, you know, just only a few, um, let's say, famous figures. I could find only a few women uh, figures who were kind of famous and made it to the uh, press. I also want to do research more about this. But as I said before, the bigger project is to uh, have the data at hand. And I'm curious, you know, do you see any um, women commenting in the press? I mean, you said, you know, there's this big debate among kind of elites and then this kind of scientific elite about these suicides. Yeah. Are there also women writers who take yeah, up this subject? Sabina and how do, they, how do they treat it? Do they treat it any differently from, from male writers? or Very differently. I mean, this I discussed a little bit in the conclusion, this, uh, you know, left-wing uh, writer, Sabiha Sertal, Holly Schisler wrote a lot of, uh, about her work, you know, on women and children. And this uh, this quote is also appears in one of her articles. So there she says, young people want to be free. They want to date. They want to enjoy life. But parents don't let them to. And when we squeeze them and they revolt, and their revolt turns into suicide. And so her interpretation is uh, definitely something else from this, you know, like scientific elite. Yeah, and you can see that as kind of a feminist move in and of itself to, to characterize suicide as um, revolt, exactly. right? I mean, this, yeah. is, um, this is a version of the argument that, that you're making yeah, about yeah, agency. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think she was seeing it as such. I wonder if you could also see, I mean, you know, as you say, the, we're talking here about research that, um, you know, on quantitative and methodological grounds yeah. we can't corroborate. But, uh, you know, if you do go back through the statistics and you find some kind of um, prevalence or increase in female suicide uh, during World War I and after, you know, I mean, I wonder if it's also possible to see that as... Um, kind of moment where women are caught between the expectations of a new kind of feminist, you know, liberal feminist politics where mm -hmm. you're supposed to be outdating and you're supposed to be rebelling and you're supposed to kind of be owning your life in this new way. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a set of disciplinary expectations in and of itself. And then the discipline of the family that's ongoing where, you know, actually when you, when you abide by one set of expectations, um, you run afoul of the other. So it's sort of being caught between two different disciplinary... <laughs> discourses i don't think the first one is so much disciplinary you know to be <laughs> out um i mean women wanted it for a long time now you know to to freely i mean to freely date to go walk on the streets these are just um human freedom i mean liberation you know these are i think very human and very um, 
let's say, existential, maybe. You know, I mean, this is something that you want to do. You want to talk to other people. And romance is a very natural thing. You know, the uh, people saying not to do it is just some, they try to curb your emotions, but it's there. It's uh, very human, I think. I wouldn't, you know, uh, compare these two as two disciplining right. ideas. Right. Well, that's, of course, this has <laughs> been a, you know, a, a feminist politics for yeah. a long time that these are natural human desires and... Yeah. You know. Um, anyway, we can we can we can think more about that. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's all the time we have today. Um, Nazan and I are speaking on a beautiful Friday in Istanbul, and you know, I'm sure uh, Nazan wants to get back to Ketekoy <laughs> and, uh, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the weekend. So um, I want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast for a second time. This thank is you. above and beyond the call of duty. <laughs> Um, and for our listeners who are, um, you know, provoked or interested by this conversation, uh, we'll be putting up um, a short bibliography on the website, as we always do. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, in, we always invite our listeners to submit comments and questions um, for us and also uh, to join our community on Facebook, which has grown to... Um, a substantial number of twenty thousand uh, followers. Wow! Congratulations. Well, you know it's um, podcasts like this that keep people coming <laughs> back. Uh, and so you can check us out on Facebook. Um, you can check us out on our website www.ottomanhistorypodcast.com, um, where you can also find out about um, our upcoming series that we're putting together, including one on gender mm. uh, in the Middle East and Ottoman Empire, which we hope this episode will be a part um and other uh upcoming series that will organize episodes on certain topics um so you know we really appreciate everybody listening thanks for tuning in and uh until next time take care thank you for wonderful questions Thank you.